What is good, everybody? Welcome to the Akello Witherspoon edition of the Gold Standard Podcast. This is episode 23. I see the little smile there, Eleven. I debated. It was either Akello Witherspoon or Taylor Mays or Reggie Bush. They all wore 23 for the Niners. I decided to go with Akello because he actually sort of bounced back, had a nice year at the end of the year. Didn't Michael James as well? He did. That's accurate. And he doesn't get enough love in that in that Falcons NFC Championship game. He had a nice little touchdown run in that game and a big kick return too, I believe. Yeah, I mean, who? I don't know who. I don't think that's worth a debate on who deserves to be the name on this podcast episode the most. None of They've them all are been DMing me. They all want the honor. Yeah, I'm sure you do get a bunch of DMs. Yes, me and Akella Witherspoon are super, super tight. But anyway, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. We do appreciate all your reviews so far. Please keep them coming. We've got a lot to talk about today, Levin. It's going to start with Robert Sala because he's in the news every minute of every day, it seems like. Things are always changing and shifting around there. So we got to talk about Sala and what might happen with him. Yeah. You have this, a- is one of those, this is one of those pods that could be outdated by the time it actually goes live because Salah could sign at any moment. Yes, we are literally refreshing Twitter. When Whoever is not talking on the pod is checking Twitter. So that's why you may hear some <laughs> weird responses. It gives Levin an extra excuse to not listen to what I'm saying. Um, and then the other thing we got to get to is, in addition to the Salah news, there are some crazy things being thrown out on Twitter, both 49ers Twitter and non-49ers Twitter that involve the Niners. People just throw anything out there. It is absolutely nuts. I don't know if they're chasing clout or what, but Levin has had enough of it because he has been angrily texting me all day today, basically with a different swear every time he sees a tweet he doesn't like. Yeah, I find it freaking annoying. Like, if you have an actual source, okay, I get it. There is one person out there that tweeted something that he has an actual source. It hasn't come to fruition yet what he tweeted about Sala, but I I know for a fact he has an actual source because I've spoken to him about it. He had, you know he obviously hasn't given me who the source is, but he's spoken to me about it. So I believe that he has an actual source. But there are some takes out there that it's just people tweeting bullshit out there because they know if they're wrong, nobody's going to care. And if they're right, oh look, suddenly I'm a credible person who actually has anonymous sources. You know, somebody tweeted out today that I'm hearing the Niners are putting together a package that does not include Bosa, although he's not untouchable. What the, f- what the f- does that even mean? Of course they're putting together a package. Every single team in this league, other than like the Chiefs and maybe the Packers, like any team that doesn't have a true franchise quarterback, is putting together a package for Watson in case that actually hits the market, in case Watson actually starts to get chopped. Like every single team, that that's just nothing you're just looking for clout saying something that everybody already knows but it gets worse because there's other people out there that are tweeting like oh i'm hearing the niners would be willing to trade this person if you're saying you're hearing something from the niners you're bullshitting because this regime does not have leaks you're just throwing bullshit out there and i freaking hate that like that is definitely a trigger for me as a former journalist full-time journalist like I, that is as low as it can get, in my opinion, as when you're trying to be an actual journalist. Like, don't be making up sources. Like, there was a time and place up until about 10 years ago that if you made up a source and you couldn't back it up, your ass was blackballed and you never worked again. So I, I just can't stand it. And that's my little rant. 
not so little right now. <laughs> I thought we were starting with the solid stuff, but apparently we're starting with the hot tweets. But no, I totally agree with you. There's no consequence. Like you said, if you're wrong, nobody cares. If you're right, you lord it over everybody for all time and you you get some clout and you puff out your chest and make it seem like you're far more connected than you are. But you're right about the, this Niners team. I mean, even look at what we've seen with John Lynch, right? And and the fact that Adam Peters and Martin Mayhew may be on other teams next year. We haven't heard a single possible replacement for those guys and they've been rumored to be interviewing and and potentially moving on for weeks and i have not seen a tweet from anybody that said hey if this happens look for you know joe schmo to be promoted up to adam peter's old position this team does not leak anything they play everything close to the vest we didn't know about the trent williams trade before that happened the d4 deal like nothing gets out of san francisco I mean, they traded DeForest Buckner last year, and nobody even knew he was getting shopped, let alone getting traded. Like, that literally blindsided everybody, including Niners beat reporters that are there (laughs) in the building every single day. Nobody even knew he was getting shopped. Like, if they can do that, you don't know jack shit about what trades they're going for right now. Like, you don't know anything. Like, I, I could tweet out there right now, and say, I've heard Salas turn down the Jets and is considering other teams. I would have a decent shot at being right, which would give me clout. <laughs> the only thing that stops me from doing that is a credibility and a sense of, I don't know if you want to call it a moral code or ethics or whatever you want to call it. Like anybody right now that has any kind of following, as little as mine is, like I could literally do that and I would probably gain a bunch of followers over it. Like that would be my incentive to doing it. And there are some people out there doing it. And it just drives me nuts. Did you see the tweet earlier this offseason? It was like, a, I think it was last week, where somebody said, oh, Robert Sal is going to the Lions because I work in a bakery and his wife just bought a cake and it was white and it had blue frosting and said, congratulations, coach, on it. <laughs> I was like, is this where we are at the offseason already? That these are the rumors that we're chasing now? Can I just say, like, I feel like, this is the wildest start to an offseason the Niners have ever had. Like, I, like I've only really been deep into the Twitter game for, like, the last three, four years. I kind of stayed away from it in the beginning, stayed more on, like, message boards. But this is just wild. Like, we're, what, less than two weeks into it, and we have uh, rumors of coaches leaving, multiple of them. Rumors of people leaving in the front office. Rumors of what to do at quarterback, which includes like five or six different trade possibilities for different quarterbacks and draft trades. Like, this is just apeshit crazy of an offseason. And I'm giving you all kinds of extra work on bleeping in this episode. (laughs) Don't worry, I'm writing them all down. Um, No, and that we've said that this offseason is going to be crazy. And the fact that what we said earlier, that nothing leaks out of this team, literally, you could wake up every single day from now until the start of next season. And something amazing could be on your phone just waiting for you. Like it, it could be anything. It could be the 49ers trade for Dak Prescott. It could be maybe Aaron Rodgers loses this weekend and he gets mad and he wants out of Green Bay and he wants to come to San Francisco. Anything can happen. And the fact that we won't see it coming is going to make it so much more fun. Like there is with with a quarterback like Watson potentially out there. There's nobody that could not suddenly be in a trade deal. And we had no idea it was coming. Like 
I don't think we're going to see a DeForest Buckner type deal. I don't think there's any veteran on this team. Like Warner's not going to suddenly be traded and shock everybody because he wants a new deal. They can't come to terms. I don't see that as a possibility. But the DeForest Buckner situation shows you that you could literally at any moment go, what the hell is this? Because you don't know what this franchise is up to. They won't tell anybody. And kudos to them for being able to keep keep it all locked up. Like I think it's a huge advantage when other teams don't have a freaking clue of what you're doing. Yeah, when the beat writers of your own team are stunned, that's a pretty good indication that nobody knows what's going on inside your own building. And it is a credit to them because they were the leakiest of all teams in the in the Harbaugh years and the Chip Kelly years and the and the Jim Tom Sula year. I mean, Jed York himself was leaking everything to the press. So it's nice to see that they finally got that buttoned up and hopefully it stays that way because like you said, I think it is to their advantage. Um, we'll get into some of the Watson stuff a little bit later, but let's start with the Robert Sala news because that's the hottest thing right now. He interviewed with the Jets. He was there all day, Wednesday, pretty much. They didn't reach an agreement on a contract. He was reportedly leaving the Jets and going right to Philadelphia for an interview with the Eagles and their head coaching job. Two questions for you. One, are you surprised that the Jets let Sala leave? And two, do you think the Eagles are a legitimate possibility for him? All right, so first one. Am I surprised the Jets let him leave? I don't think they let him. I think he told them. Like, if he doesn't want to sign, there's nothing they can do about it. And I think he has too many options out there that he doesn't want to sign on with anybody unless he gets offered all the keys. And I think that's a key part of this is who's offering what type of control. Like, I think that could be a sticking point with the Jets. And I think if I, I'm just throwing this out there, I don't have any sources, <laughs> but I'm just throwing this out there because it seemed likely that he was about to sign with the Jets and then suddenly he doesn't and he's escaping out to Philly to interview. Personally, what I think happened, since I know that from somebody somewhat credible that he was close to signing with the Jets, I think he was close to signing with the Jets but the Jets have a firm GM. Salah's getting no roster decisions. He's not getting any chance to make roster decisions because Joe Douglas is the GM in New York. I think Philly called and must have offered him some level or at least said it's possible that he could get some roster decisions, maybe final cuts he gets to make or he gets to have input and choose his quarterback or, or whatever it may be. But I think that might have been what convinced him to leave the Jets and go to Philly is that with the Jets, I don't think he's going to get any control whatsoever with the roster. But if the Eagles wanted to offer that, why not just fire Howie Roseman? They could have fired him and they chose to to retain him for this year. So if you were going to offer some sort of roster control, just fire Roseman and then you make yourself that much more attractive to a guy like Sala. Well, it's not like Philly planned this. <laughs> I don't think they thought a week ago they would have a job opening. I, I really don't. I do not think they expected to fire Peterson. I think they went into a meeting with Peterson to talk about the future and were dumbfounded at whatever stance Peterson, hardline stance Peterson took, which there's been speculation and it's probably true. It seems logical that he was hardline. I'm done with Carson Wentz. And the owner said, okay, then I'm done with you. Now you're <laughs> done with everybody on this roster because you're not my coach anymore. Like, I don't think they went into that meeting. So I don't think they got to plan anything with the GM. And I mean, they won a Super Bowl. So 
how much are you really going to move on? If you have an impasse with somebody in terms of what the future is going to look like, you kind of have to move on. You don't have a choice. And I think that's what happened with Peterson. As long as the owner and Roseman are on the same page, there's no reason to get rid of Roseman. But even if he had some type of roster control with the Eagles, I still think the Jets is a better job. I think the Jets is one of the best head coach openings out there. And while I I think that the best job for Sala would be the Chargers, the Jets have a ton going for them. So if I had to choose between Philly and New York, I'm taking New York and not really thinking that long about it. Yeah, I mean, Philly is one of those, I think when you first hear Philly's open, people who don't really pay too close of attention to other teams uh, or don't pay attention to Philly that close think, well, that's got to be a good job. You know, they just won a Super Bowl. They have some good quarterbacks. But in reality, if you look at their roster, they're pretty much cap hell. I mean, they're not full on cap hell, but they're very restricted in what they can do. And their roster is old, like very old, like Tom Brady old. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) like that roster, they are staring at a rebuild. They I'm trying to think of a good comparison in the NFL, but the best comparison I can come up with is they are the Houston Rockets of the NFL or (laughs) the Chicago Cubs of the Major League Baseball. They're a core that have either won a championship or came damn close to winning a championship. They've aged. They've gotten worse. They still have some of the star players, so you think, hey, they could run it back and still be a contender. But the actual reality is, is they are missing enough pieces now to where they're never going to contend with this roster, but they're stuck trying. So they're stuck in this limbo area where they actually need to tear it down and rebuild, but they're just not willing to admit it yet. Yeah, I host uh, one of the SB Nation NFL shows on Tuesday with Brandon Lee Gowton of Bleeding Green Nation. And he said basically exactly what you just said. They're old, they're not very talented, and they're kind of locked in. And that is a death trio if you are a potential head coaching candidate. That's the exact situation you want to avoid especially with a quarterback with a huge contract like Carson Wentz. Let's just say for the sake of argument that Sala becomes the Jets head coach. I think it sets up kind of an interesting situation for the 49ers because it's possible that if the Jets want to move on from Sam Darnold, that they put him on the market and they could end up dealing with the 49ers potentially. So Robert Sala could could end up giving Kyle Shanahan his next quarterback potentially. Or if they decide they want to stick with Sam Darnold and Kyle Shanahan wants to go all in for a quarterback, they could be dealing with the Niners in a deal for the number two overall draft pick. So if Sala becomes Jets head coach, he may still factor into the 49ers future. And I think both of those are would have high possibilities where the Niners are definitely involved to some degree, whether or not they actually come to an agreement in a trade. But there's a third possibility. And I teased this to you privately before we started. And I told you I was going to spring it on you. But if he does end up going to the Jets, there's an interesting possibility there that I think could actually happen and actually has a a stronger possibility than people are realizing of happening. And I'll I'll throw it out to you like this. If wherever he goes, Salah is likely bringing, it's believed, Mike LaFleur in as the offensive coordinator. And he's going to run a similar system to what his brother Matt LaFleur runs in Green Bay Michael, or not Michael, Kyle Shanahan runs with the 49ers and Sean McVay runs with the Rams. Now, what does every quarterback believe about that system that's played in it? Matt Ryan specifically said it. 
it takes more than one year to get it down. It's not really until the second year that you can fully grasp it and blossom. That brings me to Darnold. He has one year. I believe that if he becomes the offensive coordinator with the Jets, Darnold is not an option because he only has the one year. You don't want to lock in on him before he gets a chance to fully grasp. Furthermore, if you take it another step and you look at the market, it's the New York market. They do not have patience. You can't sit and waste a year with Darnold, decide he's not the guy, and then go looking for a quarterback again. That brings me to somebody that Mike LaFleur Oh, no. Is, yes. Oh, no. It's somebody that would know the system right away that I believe probably sees a lot of positivity in him, certainly sees him as a tone setter. And when you're talking about new coaches, you want to set a tone with the team. And, you know, you can talk about his play all you want. One thing that I don't think you can argue is that he's a tremendous leader and he's somebody that sets a tone in a locker. I could see Michael Floor and Robert Sala pushing Joe Douglas to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo because he's going to know the system. He can hit the ground running. They can instantly show improvement, and they might truly believe he is a really good quarterback because it seems like there are people on the 49ers that believe Jimmy Garoppolo is a true, really good quarterback. Does that not make sense? Have you ever seen the movie My Cousin Vinny? Yes. (laughs) When he makes an objection to the judge, and the judge says, Mr. Gambini, that is a lucid, well-thought-out objection. He says, thank you overruled you just made a perfectly logical case for why the jets would be interested in jimmy garoppolo but i don't think there's any way that that happens because i think shanahan knows it i think lafleur knows it i think mike mcdaniel knows it jimmy ain't the guy he's not the bird i think they all know it so i don't think think i'm not convinced of that I'm interjecting here, but I'm not convinced they all know it. I think Kyle is a hard line, very hard grader. And I think he is somebody that is not willing to work with somebody who's not elite. He has certain qualities in a quarterback that he wants and borders on a gunslinger. And that is not Jimmy. That doesn't mean that somebody underneath Kyle Shanahan doesn't think Jimmy Garoppolo is the right person for him. It's possible. I mean, you're again, that is totally logical. The question you have to ask yourself is, do the people with the extra information on Jimmy Garoppolo, because I think it goes one of two ways. Either they're, they still buy in on him and they think that there's a lot of potential there that maybe they could squeeze out of him that Kyle Shanahan can't for whatever reason, or they go the complete opposite way and say, look, this guy was even worse than he looks. If he wasn't in this system, he'd be even worse he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't make the reads. He can't throw it deep. It only goes one of two ways in that spot. But that would be really interesting. So then does does Garoppolo go as part of the deal for the number two pick? Does he go in a deal for Darnold? How do you see that playing out? I threw it out there that if they choose that they don't want to do the one year with Darnold, which I would argue is a very likely, likely situation if they become if it's this situation of coaching Salah with Michael Floor because one year with him isn't going to be enough. You know, it's not going to be until middle of the season that he even starts to grasp things because people like Matt Ryan struggled with it. So I threw it out there on Twitter that if this were to happen and they were wanting Jimmy, I could see them doing a trade down from two. I think it would take Jimmy Garoppolo, 
the number 12 pick this year, first round pick next year, and probably a third and another mid-round pick. I think that would probably end up being around what the deal is. And then I could see I could actually see the Jets sitting at number 12 and taking Trey Lance and doubling down on quarterback, saying we got Jimmy Garoppolo for right now. If he ends up not blossoming, you know, we traded down, we got great draft compensation, we compensation we got a first round pick next year we're bringing in trey lance somebody that might need a year and we can see where jimmy's at if jimmy's good we can decide on whether or not we want to re-up him when he has one year left on his deal if he's not he was a good stopgap to this guy with truly elite potential i could see that being and for the jets specifically i could see them doing the double down because they have another first round pick they already have two first round picks so it's not like they're throwing all their eggs into one basket by doing that. They still have another late round for first round pick. Yes. But I think if you make that trade and Jimmy's your, your guy that you're going with, I think you take, you say, Hey, let's take these first two round, these two first round picks and put something around him. Let's get another offensive lineman to protect him. And let's get a freaking wide receiver that can actually be a target for this guy because the jets, I mean, the jets skill position players for years have been absolute garbage. So I think if you make the move and Garoppolo's included in that trade, use all the first round picks you can to help put some talent around him. So I don't know that they would go Trey Lance at 12, but I could see why they would want to trade down. I I totally buy into that because I don't know for sure that the Jets are locked in on a quarterback. Joe Douglas doesn't strike me as that guy. I think he's a pretty level-headed guy. I I would think he might be willing to say, Let's see what everything looks like when we don't have arguably the worst head coach in the history of the franchise behind the wheel of the car. But I, either way, if Salah goes to the Jets, I think he's going to have a big part in the 49ers' future and how the offseason turns out for them. I mean, I, we don't may, need to make this a Jets podcast, but I will say this in terms of needing other skill position players. They are going to have, I think right now, projected to have the second most cap space. And there are some good wide receivers out there, like Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be a free agent. Plus, like I said, they have that other first-round pick that they could use to address that, as well as use that money or that other first-round pick to address the defense. Like, this is a roster that if if they come in and hit the ground running, they could push for playoffs. Like, I don't think they're going to be a contender anytime soon. They need to hit on some of these draft picks. But there is talent on that team, and I think that might be all the more reason why their offensive coordinator would say, give me a quarterback that knows my system. All right, let's turn this back to the 49ers now <laughs> instead of the Jets. We're going to take a break. When we come back, something came up on the Shanna plan yesterday that I posted about at Niners Nation that really kind of had me nervous a little bit. I want you to reassure me, Levin, make me feel a little better about the situation. I'll ask you the question when we come back. Welcome back to the Niners Nation podcast. This is the gold standard. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero. He's Levin Black. Okay, Levin. I tease that I have a question for you, and my question is this, because it came up, I think Akash brought it up on the Shanna plan yesterday. Let's just say for the sake of argument that Adam Peters becomes the GM of the Panthers and Martin Mayhew becomes the GM in Washington. Do you trust John Lynch as the general manager of this team without his two lieutenants in Peters and Mayhew? Well, I'm going to have kind of a trick answer here. Do I trust John Lynch by himself? No. Do I trust what the Niners already have and who would be staying? Yes, because John Lynch doesn't make every decision. We know Kyle has roster choice over him. 
Kyle Shanahan has final say. And as long as Parag is still there, they're fine, in my opinion. They have a financial guy. They have talent evaluators. You can go out and find scouts. It might not be as good as Adam Peters. Like You might take a small hit there, but I don't think it's that hard to replace the scout part of it. You know what I mean? Like I think it's hard to replace somebody who kind of keeps everybody level-headed. Like I said, I think it's it's hard to find a GM who's willing to let the coach make all the choices without causing problems. And that's why I've said in the past that John Lynch is the perfect GM for Kyle Shanahan because he's not sitting and going, you know what, we made a Super Bowl. I deserve to have final say. I'm going to start whining and complaining and demanding final say and trying to throw power around. You know what I mean? Like he hasn't done any of that. So I, I still think they would be in a good position because they have the financial guru. They have a coach who's good at knowing what he needs. And John Lynch is kind of a, I can't think of the right word off the top of my head, but he's somebody that makes everybody feel good. And he's really good at, I think, convincing players to come join them. Like, I, I think he's very good at the personnel part of it. Very good at, uh, at relationships and recruiting. There you go. Recruiting and things like that. I think he's very, because he's respected. You know, he's a former player, maybe a Hall of Fame player coming up here soon. And I think he has a lot of respect a lot around the league, both from people who run other teams. I think that is a very undervalued part of GMing is getting people to take your calls. You know, look at the Jimmy Garoppolo trade from New England. He bugged Bill Belichick about Jimmy Garoppolo, but he did it respectfully. He probably earned some respect by saying, okay, you want to trade Jimmy? How about Tom? You know, and that, <laughs> that got the reaction that has been all out there. But I, I think he has a lot of respect around the league where people are more willing to take his calls to discuss things. And I think that's very valuable. When John Lynch was hired, I'll never forget it. I was actually, it was during Super Week. I was at the Super Bowl. I was at dinner with Mike Florio and he just started giggling. And I was, I was like, what are you doing? And he was like, 49ers just hired a GM. Oh, great. Who is it? John Lynch. And I'm like, John Lynch, the Fox announcer? Like, what is happening? And I was sitting there like, oh, no, this was terrible. But then as things sort of came together, it was like, hey, don't worry about John Lynch. I know he has no experience in the job he just got, but he's got Adam Peters. He's got Martin Mayhew. He's got people there to, you know, sort of act as training wheels to teach him the ins and outs of being a GM. Well, it's been four years. Do you feel like Lynch has gotten enough of that to really sort of lead this this front office? Because I'm a little worried. You know, remember there was that report? that the 49ers scouts were not being listened to and Kyle Shanahan was kind of overruling everybody. You know, if he's got to bring in less experienced scouts now to, to replace those guys, do you think he's going to be more likely to listen to them or less likely? That sounds like a Kyle issue, not a John issue. If Kyle's not going to listen, Kyle's not going to listen. He's he's the top dog there. He gets to make the final choice. Like, Kyle's not going to listen. There's not much you can do. But I think that is part of what John is good at. He's, like I said, a very good people person, and he probably has, at times, had to sit Kyle down and say, hold on, think about it, let's go through it, and probably stop some of that, where he listened to the scouts a little bit more. And I think they had the best and hardest learned lesson on the job in year one. What did they do in the 2017 draft? Uh, we didn't really look at quarterbacks. Yeah. We didn't really <laughs> look at quarterbacks because we were going to get Kirk. Okay, well, you lost on Deshaun Watson, and you lost on Patrick Mahomes. Like, learn your freaking lesson. Look at every damn position. Like, 
I think they've learned some lessons. I think, is John going to be a top-level scout? No, I doubt it. That's not what he is. He's the people person, the guy who fills in gaps, the guy who connects the people and gets them to play nice with each other and kind of makes everything be cohesive as a unit. He's the glue, in my opinion, of that front office. And no matter what scouts he brings in, he's still going to be able to serve that role. I think the biggest asset that John Lynch brings to the 49ers is that he's a pincushion. He is, what was the issue with the Niners GM spot before him? Trent Baalke hated Jim Harbaugh. He hated the media. He basically just hated every other human on the planet that wasn't a football player. He hated everything but ACLs. (laughs) Right. If you tore your ACL, he loved you. But I think John Lynch is out there to be sort of the mouthpiece for the organization. Kyle doesn't love doing interviews and he doesn't love doing hits with the media press conferences. He tolerates it, but he would prefer not to do it. That's why Lynch is there. He's there to do all that. He's the the well-spoken guy. You know, he's got all that on-air broadcasting experience. I think he is there to suffer the slings and arrows for the decisions basically that Kyle makes. And that to me is the biggest asset he brings to the Niners. And are you going to easily find somebody who's willing to have the GM title and be willing to be that scapegoat? No. I want my GM to be able to scout some damn people too. Like, you've got to be able to do at least some of that, don't you? Well, I mean, he scouted Solomon Thomas when they had class together. (laughs) Right. They had a class together. Great. Home run, John. Although, to be fair, I remember distinctly Uh, people saying that Solomon Thomas was the safest pick in the whole draft, that he was like a lot, you know, his floor was just going to be like a really solid player for a long time. So it looks much worse now. But at the time, I remember Solomon Thomas was like looked at as this elite prospect. Yeah, he was a guy that was going to be really good at everything, but not great at anything. And it turned out he was uh, decent at everything, but not good at anything. The next <laughs> right. level down. <laughs> I feel bad because he's injured he's, and he's not going to be back with the team next year. But you're, Look, that is a, the part. Yeah, he, he's a great guy from all everything we see. I mean, he's done tremendous things uh, for suicide prevention and very active in those types of charity things. So, you know, kudos to him, but I'm here to talk about football and I don't, I try not to have emotions when it comes to that. In reality, he's a good backup, not really a starter. It is what it is. When you're the number three overall pick, that's not what you're looking for. How beneficial would it be to the Niners? Or actually, you know what? I'll put it to you this way. If you could choose Adam Peters, Martin Mayhew, or Robert Sala to be with the Niners for one more year, which one of those guys would you want to keep? And before you answer, keep in mind that Peters has been the guy going on the road looking at all these quarterbacks that everybody wants the 49ers to get. I mean, in reality, there's only one that I would think would have a truly detrimental potential to if he's not here, and that's Sala. If you don't make the right DC hire, like Shanahan doesn't have anything to do with that side of the ball, really. So if you don't make the right hire there, your defense suddenly becomes crap. Now, they do have some talent there, but they need an entire new secondary. If they don't make the right choices there, if they don't utilize the people that they bring in for the secondary correctly, that defense could crater, and this team isn't nearly as good if it craters. Sala, we know, can handle that. So I would have to say Sala because, I mean, losing your top scout for one year isn't that big of a deal. Like, the, the info's with the team. 
Peters is going to take a lot of that info with him, but that doesn't mean that it's not already recorded by the Niners. Like they know what Peters thought of, of Zach Wilson when he went and scouted him. Like they know what Peters thought. It's just now they might have to compete for for that said player in the draft. But I don't think they're really going to lose much. Like they know what Peters has done scouting wise at this point. You know, it stinks if he goes to Carolina, they pick before the Niners. So it's like if he wants, you know, Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or whoever, um, you know, the Niners can't do anything about it unless they move up. So that that kind of stinks. Um, yeah, Akash was talking about that yesterday. Like, I don't know. You know, he basically said like you so you they go to scout somebody and they fill out like a rubric, you know, of whatever the Niners criteria is. And then they hand that in. But he didn't know, like. Does Peters get to take that back with him? Even if the Niners also get to keep a copy, does he get to take that back with him? Does he have any other additional information that maybe he hadn't given to the team yet? Like, we don't know exactly what that exchange of information is. I mean, in reality, the information came from Adam Peters' mind and eyes. So it's going with him no matter what you do. True. And by the way, if he was smart, he made a copy of all that stuff before giving it to the 49ers with an eye on possibly being the GM of another team. Like, let's just be honest. Anybody does that in a job. When I left ESPN to go to NBC, before I told ESPN I was leaving, I made sure to copy all of my contacts out of my ESPN address book and put them in my own address book. Like, that's just something everybody would do before changing jobs, right? Yeah, I mean... I wouldn't be surprised if he has copies of things. There might be rules against that. I don't actually know the specifics of the NFL rules in that regard. I know it's not legal for scouts to take their info in Major League Baseball, but scouting's a little bit different in that sport. Like Scouting's everything in that sport. But, yeah, I mean, if he goes to Carolina, he could certainly destroy the Niners' plans, but... I don't know. If, I, if I'm truly being honest, do I want the Niners to get a quarterback? Yes. Do I see the Niners trading up? No. I think the Niners, you know, what have we said about Kyle Shanahan in the past? He has a pretty big ego, and I think he sees a bunch of people either in this draft or that are capable of being out there traded for that he thinks he could make work and win enough. And I think he looks at Jimmy Garoppolo and says, if Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy, I can win with him. He might not be as good as I want, or the type of quarterback I want, really. So I'm going to look for other options. But I do think there's a lot of quarterbacks he thinks he could win with. Like, he has a pretty big ego. So I don't think he's going to fall in love and say, I have to have that guy and get Lynch to trade up to number two or three or whatever it ends up being. I think they're going to sit at 12. And if one of the quarterbacks that they really like is still there, they're going to take him. See, that's a bad way to think about it. You can't go into a season thinking, I just need a guy that's good enough. Good enough is not a, for lack of a better term, good enough plan at quarterback. He should know. He just in the Super Bowl saw how an elite quarterback can overcome interceptions and overcome a really good offense on the other side and a really good defense on the other side and bad pass protection. He saw it up close and personal. If that's not enough of an abject lesson for you to realize that you can't, you don't need good enough at quarterback. You need elite. Then he's never going to learn it. Well, yes and no. I mean, the Niners could have won. But they didn't. I agree with you. I would go for elite talent personally. I just don't know if Kyle's there. Like, I think he's still probably pretty big into his own ego thinking he could make things work. If it doesn't work out in the draft and the guy doesn't fall to us, I'll go into next season with Jimmy and I've already proven I can 
go to the Super Bowl and be in position to win the game. I mean, it it is what it is. Like, I'm personally in the boat that if Watson becomes available, you trade anybody and everybody that it takes to get Watson. Like, you know, there's all this stuff on Twitter, like, you know, it's blowing up pretty much right before we got on the air to start recording that Boza could be traded. And I know today there was like debates on whether or not he should be untouchable. There's not a single player on this roster that should be untouchable when you're talking about a quarterback of the level of Watson. Guess what? Watson is worth double any other player on this roster. Like, would I trade Nick Boza for Watson in a heartbeat? Yep. Do I have a limit to how many draft picks I'm willing to include with Boza? Yeah. Like, Boza's worth a top-end first-round pick to, you know, more than that, potentially. Like, yeah. I would include Bosa, and guess what? If you can get Watson without touching this offense at all, you're going to have an offense that rivals the Chiefs and might even be better than the Chiefs because that means you're going to have Ayuk. You're going to have Debo. You're going to have Kittle. You're going to have Watson as the quarterback. If you have all that, your offense is going to score at will with Kyle Shanahan. I completely agree with you. There's nobody on this roster that's untouchable. I would trade Bosa. I would trade Warner. I would trade Kittle easily. I would trade Debo. Now, I wouldn't trade Warner and Bosa or Kittle and Bosa or Kittle and Warner. I'm not packaging multiple stars in that type of deal. But yeah, there's no one player on this roster that I say is untouchable, especially to get a quarterback. Like it's it's not even close. People do not understand how freaking good Deshaun Watson is. I don't think they really do, especially because the Texans were terrible this year. So they just kind of assumed that he wasn't that good. He was incredible this year. He was absolutely fantastic. Go back like I did today and watch the Texans-Bills playoff game from last year. He was unbelievable. He was down by 16 points against the Bills, came all the way back, makes that play in overtime where he's about to get sacked. He gets crushed by two people, spins out of it, you know, dumps the ball off. They get a first down. They eventually win the game. People are not realizing how good Deshaun Watson is and how if they got him by week eight of that season, you wouldn't even remember who they gave up to get it. Yeah. I, I think part of it is people, people get their emotions involved. And that's really what it is. And by people, I mean, a lot of the people that say, Heck no, I would never trade Boza. They're fans. Like they're not capable of severing the emotional ties to players. They remember Boza for what he did last year, for getting to the Super Bowl and all those great memories of all those wins. And I get it. Like, I'm not going to fault a fan for feeling that way to say I would never trade Boza. I won't fault a fan for that. What I will fault is when those fans push back at somebody who's able to se- separate the emotions from it and say, absolutely, Nick Bosa is capable of being traded. He's not untouchable. If they push back and say, how dare you, or things like that, that's where I draw the line. Like, no, you can be your fan. You can be your homer and say you would never trade Bosa. That's great. You don't run a team. Like, you can't have emotions when you run a team. You can't be overly loyal to somebody just because of what they've done for you in the past. And that's the difference. Because I can guarantee you, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are divorcing themselves from those feelings. And just look at the history. Look at the Buckner deal. They love DeForest Buckner. You know, Grant Cohen likes to tweet and make it seem like the 49ers traded DeForest Buckner because they didn't think he was better than Eric Armstead or didn't think he was that good. That's insane. 
They traded him because he wanted his money up front and they couldn't pay him. They loved him. All they did was sing his praises. He was a great player on the field, great player off the field, never hurt. They loved everything about him. But when they realized that they didn't have a future with him, they traded him. They they used the asset that they had in him to make their team better. That's how Kyle and John think about it. And that's why that's how you should think about it if you're if you're trying to figure out potential moves the team could make. Like is Lynch gonna call up Houston and say, hey, here's a trade package with Bose included? No. He's gonna start with draft picks. He's not gonna want to give up a star level level player. But that doesn't mean that they haven't done their homework, figured out where they're willing to go if they have to include a certain player. So it would take the other team pushing back. And I say other team because there's other possibilities out there. Although I will say this, I'll say this, whether it's Stafford, Wentz, whoever, there's not another quarterback out there that at least at this time that we know it could be potentially available that I'd be willing to give up Bosa for. I would not give up Bosa for Stafford straight up. Agreed. Especially given the age. Right. If Houston pushes back and says, well, that's all nice and good, but we want Bosa. We need another young star player to sell this to our fan base or whatever. You say, okay, well, that means we're taking away this draft pick. Like, it's not a deal breaker. They're not going to come to the table saying, here's Bosa in a trade package. But I would assume any anybody worth their worth of a GM is expecting that, like, yeah, Houston's probably going to push back and say, those draft picks are nice, but we want Warner, Bosa, and the number 12 pick. And then Houston will counter. Like, that should be expected. Yeah. Before you pick up the phone, you already know what is the most we are willing to give up in this deal. And if you don't know it, then you're a terrible negotiator. Like, you have to decide ahead of time what is the most we're willing to lose. It's like when you go to a casino, right? Only bring with you the amount of money you're willing to lose. You don't just go and say, well, however much it costs me, it costs me. That's how you end up in the poorhouse. You can't do it that way. You have to decide ahead of time what you're willing to lose. And I'm sure the 49ers have done that calculus. I guarantee you they have. I I know for a fact that Kyle Shanahan, I'm sure, thinks like that. Just from everything we've seen from him, he seems to be a very calculating guy. Um, Before we go, I wanted to address one last thing with you because I saw this on Niners Nation today. The 49ers finished with one of the worst special teams units in the NFL, according to Rick Goslin, who apparently has broken this stuff down like for years. He separates it into 22 different categories, and the 49ers were not really good in any of them. They haven't been good for a little while in the return game, Levin. What's your reaction to when you see that article? No shit, Sherlock. Like, let's look at it. <laughs> okay, Kyle Shanahan will not let somebody return punts. Like, this is not a personnel issue to me. I think the Niners have the personnel to be really good on special teams, like they have been in the past. It's the fact that Kyle Shanahan prefers to use them in a different manner. He will not let Brandon Ayuk return punts, even though he clearly would be really good at it. He didn't let Dante Pettis return punts until his confidence was completely and utterly shot, despite him being one of the best punt returners in college football history. Like, he will not allow it. He... This is goes back to his ego. He just wants the damn ball. And then he has the confidence that he will call the right play to go down and score. So when it comes to returning, he doesn't want any risks. So it's do not return the ball unless you got 20 yards of daylight in front of you. That is a Kyle Shanahan thing. The other side of it is the Niners have one of the best gunners in the NFL. Guess what? He doesn't play special teams anymore. He's the starting running back. 
Like they have the capability of being really good, but they prioritized other things. They do not want to return the ball because Kyle Shanahan prioritizes his ability to call plays and move the ball over a returner potentially fumbling, trying to get an extra yard or two. And he prioritizes Raheem Mostert running the ball over Raheem Mostert being a gunner. And that's that one's not incorrect. I disagree with him on the punt returning. I agree with him on, you know, Mostert not wasting energy being a gunner and sprinting 60 yards every single time there's a kickoff or a punt. You know, I, I get that one. But the Niners do, I think, this offseason should go out there and find some guys that would be good gunners. You know, and another one to throw out there was DJ Reed was pretty damn good on special teams. And what they do, they kind of they prioritized other things. Like, that, that that's the simple fact of it. It's not shocking that they're terrible at special teams this year because they didn't try at special teams. <laughs> the crazy thing to me is, and I totally agree with your analysis of how Kyle Shanahan views kick and punt returns. I think the Niners still led the league in fumbles on kick and punt returns, which is crazy because Kyle's basically, hey, the only thing he cares about is hang on to the ball. He does not care about returns at all, like you said. That's his only point of emphasis is catch the ball and hang on to it, and they were still bad at it. Well, when you're a player and all your years of experience returning punts, whether this is Trent Taylor, Dante Pettis, whoever you want to put back there, all your experience is for, you know, almost a decade at that point, you know, because you've been doing it since you were a kid. You get the ball and you're looking and you're analyzing about when to return and you know when to return and when to fair catch it. Now your coach is saying, don't you dare return the ball. Don't you dare return the ball. If you fumble, you'll be in my doghouse and you don't ever get out of that. Well, then your analysis comes something different and you're slow. You're slower. You're thinking about things you shouldn't be thinking about when the punt is coming in. And I think that has a lot to do with it. It is Kyle Shanahan basically being a tyrant when it comes to punt returns. And I think it's gotten in the head of every single person who goes back there to return punts. Because instead of just thinking return or catch, they're going, well, I could return this, but Kyle might not want me to return. Oh, there's the ball. You know what, though? Like, I agree with that, but Kyle's also not wrong. Like, really, the only thing that stops the offense is turnovers. Like, I understand why he thinks that way. I just, I don't know. I I don't know who it's going to be. I hope that they can either, you know, maybe they use like a late round pick on a flyer on somebody that, that impresses Kyle or something. Because, I mean, honestly, outside of the years that Ginn was with the Niners, they really have not had good kick returners or punt returners in their really entire history. There's one thing that I've never gotten when it comes to the way that they run the punt team when they're returning. If you don't want your punt returner to ever return the punt, just tell him you're only ever fair catching, period. I don't care. And then you rush the damn punter every time. You don't bother having gunners. You don't bother with any of that. And you try to block the kick every single time. I don't get why they don't. If you don't want the guy returning the ball, just tell him, hey, you're not returning the ball, period. Just fair catch it. I don't care what kind of daylight you have in front of you. Fair catch the ball every single time so there's no thought into it. And then you go for the block every single time so that maybe you get a block or two throughout the year that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. I don't get, like, why he's in this in-between situation. Either go for the block every time and fair catch it or run the like normal, where if you have daylight, go for it. Or depending on the field position of the other team, like if they're backed up, don't put anybody back there. You don't need anybody back there. The other team can down the ball. You know, if they're backed up at their goal line and you're going to get the ball at the 50 or, you know, around there, 
don't put anybody back there. There's zero risk of a fumble if you just rush the punter and then you either get the block or you guarantee to not fumble the return. That's pretty good by you. <laughs> I actually was thinking about that during the last game of the season and then I forgot to say it in the instant reacts. Like, I, I, I just don't get it. Like, it's clear he doesn't want any returns. He doesn't care for any returns whatsoever. So just go full on in that and go for the block. Every, like, I don't get it. You're, you're, he's like sitting on this fence for no reason. That is the most nerve wracking part of the game for me. Every kick and punt return, I'm sitting there terrified. Like, please just don't fumble. Like, just hang on it's, to the ball. It's the Kyle Williams post-traumatic stress. Yeah. <laughs> before that, I didn't have that. Ever since that play, every single Niner fan, every single time there's a punt is going, just don't fumble it. Like that play happened at such a drastic moment during such a good team that probably would have ended up winning the Super Bowl that it, it it scarred us for life. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not convinced that even if Kyle Williams held on to that ball, the second punt, that they win. Alex Smith completed one pass to a wide receiver, and it was to Michael Crabtree, and it was late, late, late in the fourth quarter. I think they converted one third down in the entire game. Like, the Niners weren't going anywhere, and neither were the Giants. Like, that was the only way that game could have ended was on a turnover that set up the other team because the Giants got the ball and did nothing with it. Even on the game-winning field goal, they didn't go anywhere. So that I'm not convinced the Niners would have won if Kyle Williams held on to the ball. Ten-year-old arguments, that's what we're going to do now? We're going to have ten-year-old arguments? The ship well, has sailed on that one, bud. <laughs> Fine. You know what? Fine. We'll just end the show on that sour note. Is that better? Good. That's what we're doing. Hope you enjoyed it. We could talk about Brandon Ayuk not being in the top 10 of the rookie list that you sent me and said, can you believe this? Or I think maybe you just posted, oh, you posted it with our Niners Nation podcast. You want to talk about that? No, no, you've missed it now. That's it. And you've deprived the audience of hearing what was probably going to be a great debate because you're a jerk. So there you go. You're the one that was late to this podcast recording. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Niners Nation podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We do appreciate it. Please keep them coming. The news will be crazy for the next week, at least. There's going to be big changes, and we will be with you for all of them. Enjoy it, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week.